Before following the commissary into the manager's office, I must describe certain extraordinary occurrences that took place in that office, which Rémy and Mercier had vainly tried to enter, and into which Messrs. Richard and Moncharmin had locked themselves with an object which the reader does not yet know, but which it is my duty as an historian to reveal without further postponement. What's up? You okay? Uh, what? There's something in my eyes. Um, well, Craig, hey, wasabi. Is it wasabi? There's wasabi in my eyes. I've got wasabi in my eyes. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Oh, no, it's gone more in. It's gone more in. It's on my fingers. It's on my fingers. What'd you do to it? Craig, things. What? Get some water or something. This smart. Okay, put water in it. Put water in. Oh, it's what? That's lemon. It's lemon, Greg. That's clear. It's LaCroix. August 15th, 1997. We have the carpet for my room. I have read about three quarters of the way through The English Patient. Some people might say it is an immoral book, but I don't really care. It is a really beautiful book. It is so depressing if you think about it, but surprisingly, the plot doesn't even matter. August 17th, 1997. I've had this diary for about five months. At the beginning, the phantom obsession was at its normal pace. Then it dropped to nearly non-existent. Then this summer, it reached a peak. Now it is definitely there, but more and more frequently, it takes a backseat to other things, like the English patient. Also, Riverdance <laughs> is coming next May, and tickets go on sale tomorrow. <laughs> August 18th, 1997. <laughs> I just now finished reading The English Patient. Wow, that is such a moving book. A bit disgusting in some parts, but mm. wonderful anyway. We are getting Riverdance tickets. <laughs> August 18th, 1997. Later, 4.15 p.m. No. We just got back from Fresno where we got Riverdance tickets. They're pretty good. Orchestra, row S. The more I think about it, the more the part where Catherine Clifton dies, spoilers for the English Patient 1990-whatever, the part where Catherine Clifton dies in the English Patient makes me sick. It is, like, gross. She gets demon-possessed or something. It is nauseating. I don't know if I am glad I have that book anymore. August 23rd, 1997. I like the English Patient again. This has been... <laughs> English patient corner. Welcome back to the pod team. Um, prelude. I mean, I, I think eventually I'm going to have to give, if you'll remember, Kara, when I first discovered this journal and started leaving you absolutely unsolicited voicemails, I went on a similar journey with another novel about a man with love busted in the face. And that novel was mentioned yeah. by Susan Kay. I dare say I got even more into the weeds with my emotional health truly by the minute as I was reading that thing. So 
but yeah, yes. uh, we're back. This um, is the English patient. Sorry, this is the English patient no. that you smuggled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I bought it with my babysitting money and then um, immediately told my mom about it because I, you know, really, really trying to be Christ-like. She's no, I didn't even let her read it. She said, well, I'm going to look over it and see if you're allowed to have it. I automatically returned it because it does, ugh, you know, any of you girlies listening with the kids really, I don't know about that. Let's do a This American Life. We're about to acknowledge the existence of sex on this podcast. On the first page, this man's penis is compared to a sleeping seahorse. Um, but this is also oh. because like he's a full body burn victim on account of <laughs> like, Colin, Colin Firth made him get in a plane crash. Colin Firth is in the movie. Um oh really ruining the English patient for anyone who hasn't seen it. No, but the basic plot is there's this like man who's been burned beyond recognition. We don't really know who he is, but a lot of the story takes place in flashback. Um, Ray finds in the film, beautiful man, beautifully shot Kristen Scott Thomas, a Kristen who spells it the right way. Absolutely gorgeous in these period fashions. Colin Firth, two for two in, in movies where she don't want him. Like, he had a little string there in the late 90s of losing to the Fines brothers. Kristen Scott Thomas is married to him in The English Patient. She don't want him. Here's Ray Fiennes. Uh, Shakespeare in Love, famously. Gwyneth Paltrow, betrothed him. She don't want him. Here's Joseph Fiennes. So, yeah, just all over the place. But I've clearly always loved a story where a man is busted and tragic but also, yeah, I had to return that book because I was like, no, no, no way a sleeping seahorse penis is getting past the mom censor. But then I did. Yeah. I, I, I snuck out of Men in Black and then repurchased it and then hid it um, under my mattress like like an idiot, you know, found by my mom when she was just checking my my mattress tags. It does what? does in fairness <laughs> to her seem like the kind of thing she would be doing, but yeah, pretty, pretty cool of me to have not found a better hiding place for that. But she didn't find it until like a year later. And it's like, I don't know, at the point where I had a driver's license, I think she was kind of picking her battles. Like, but yeah, English patient corner, really a prelude to carrot corner when we get there. But we're not going to get there this week. What we're going to do this week is just do a little catch up. We were sorry to kind of leave you without a dope beat to step to. I'm so sorry. Meaning a new episode because Kara, half of our podcast needed to go abroad. I had to. I was abroad abroad. You had to. You were abroad abroad. She saw very many things, not all of which are Rick adjacent, but some of which are. But so yeah. our last few episodes as we get into the end of the book, which we just really felt that they would be served by the energy that Kara would bring back with her from visiting rick's home so it's we, true our, i our feel special, smarter yeah well and you're just do you feel more in tune like with him spiritually him who is definitely yes <laughs> yes it was i mean we'll talk about it but it was cool to walk through places where i've read porn that takes place there absolutely the power of it you know i was like the oh, power that has cool. the impact that but it was the also internet. cool to like actually have read the book and been like oh this is where Raul looked like he was a hungover frat boy. Yeah. No, but truly, the power that has, the intelligence that has, the international implications that has, it had international implications because you were international. 
so just call me Mr. Worldwide. And I do, I do, and and you love that. Um, <laughs> Never is, call me that. Rick is Mr. Worldwide. He truly is. But oh, so, for sure. I don't know. I feel like they don't do this anymore. But like for everything from Buffy to Alias to Full House, you'd log on to watch your little stories, and then you'd be like, "God damn it, it's a clip show." We're yeah. not going to do that where we splice in like us talking in other episodes. We are, however, going to recap the book thus far. So, yeah. Kara, who are we? What like do we normally well. do? And what's happened so far? Welcome to LaRoe Less Traveled. I'm Kara. This is Kristen. And we're just, if you missed it the first four billion times we've said it, um, we're just two dizzy broads who unfortunately like life comes at you fast we have just mm -hmm. decided that our phantom of the opera phase is not just a phase mom and side note i do feel really good recording this in i am recording this uh in my childhood bedroom so Powerful. the the energy of like middle school kara is with us in the space there's probably a phantom thing within my eyeline i can't see anything right now but there's definitely some bullshit yeah. from my time uh, but yeah, we're just like, a, we, we got really back into the Phantom of the Opera. We love the musical from 1986. We love the material that has come from that. And mm -hmm. then we also, I've never read the book, Phantom of the Opera by Gaston Leroux. That was written in 1909, originally in French, then translated to English by Texiera de Matos. And I've never read it. Kristen's read it. And we're just recapping it. So yeah. It's been it's been interesting. It's been a fun ride. Yeah. Alexander Texiera de Matos, not an ally to the horny community. David Coward said, women's stories matter. They just matter. No. <laughs> he actually kind of did, though, because he put back in and we've talked about it on previous episodes. So you probably heard about all this. There's quite a bit taken out of the public domain version. And Kara, I think you've got better track of that. It's like 100 pages or something like that, right? Like how much? It's like over 100 pages. So Gaston Leroux wrote it originally in French. Yeah. And then pretty, pretty quickly, it wanted to be, the book demanded to be translated um, because the people, the people wanted to know Rick's story. I don't know if this mm -hmm. is true. Um, but yeah, so this guy, Texiera de Matos, was like, word, I'll do it. Translates it, cuts out a bunch of shit, trying to kind of, Translation in the in the early 1900s was slightly different than how maybe we would think about translating a text, but yeah, just trying to like keep the vibe of the story while translating it so it didn't sound like you were just running it through Google Translate 1909 version. So he he cut out a bunch of stuff, and so he ended up cutting out about 100 pages. And we've been discovering that he's been cutting out all the good stuff. So we're irritated. Truly. So we've been reading. The Oxford World Edition, if you want to follow along, the Oxford World Edition is translated by David Coward, who is a more um, modern translator. And also David Coward, a fan, because he also has self-published his own fan fiction. He wrote, a, I'm sure he does not want it to be called fan fiction, but he wrote a story called, like, The well. Young Phantom that is, like, you know, what happened before he went to the opera house or whatever. We stand. Yeah. Yeah. No choice but to stand. So that's yeah, this absolutely. guy. And he didn't cut out as, I don't think he cut out, like, I think his goal was, like, not to cut out things. So we have, that's yeah. why it's kind of also taking us a little bit longer to read. Because it's not a very long book. It's, like, 160 pages. It's really pages. not. 
No, I mean, he's cut out some funny things. There are some nice turns of phrases in Dematos. Like, I think, I still think the opera ghost really existed, which Kara's going to speak to us about because she went to his house. But there's definitely some bangers, all bangers all the time. But he, I'd say the two most prominent things that he cut out would be the overt references to sex, particularly when it comes to Rick. No, but also, I mean, Christine's fear of assault and a particular uh, little comment, just a charming little prearranged comment that Rick has about uh, the coffin bed. That is not in the public domain version. And also, Christine sounding like a highly competent individual who's like, yep, I was out here collecting these red flags. Um, I have some reflection to do. Christine really uh, does a very good podcast on the roof of the Paris Opera that is just so heavily truncated in the public domain version that you're well within your rights to be like, girl, what? So she was just like, fine with this? No. Christine admits to being a dizzy broad and is like, here's what I would have done real differently, team. But uh, yeah, I think those I are the yeah. two biggest things that get cut out, would you say? I think so. Um and then one of the things that happens in, or, like, one of the things people talk about a lot is that, like, Raul is, like, a whiny little brat, is, like, kind of, like, I'm, I am generalizing a lot of people's critiques, but I keep seeing it a lot, that, like, Laro Raul specifically is, like, a little whiny, like, annoying person. And I don't know if it's just because I'm reading this at my big age, but, and because I'm reading this version, but he seems pretty I mean him and Christine seem pretty like okay like this is a thing that's kind of confusing that's happening to us like how can we maybe like get out of this in the best way he seems like very caring about Christine I don't know I it's interesting to think like because I know that if I read this at 14 in the midst of like insane shipping wars or whatever where I want Eric and Christine to be endgame it would be probably it would read different but like it's really interesting to just like yeah, he does read like a an aristocrat who's like kind of trying to make the best of the situation. It doesn't shock me that he like is acting the way he's acting. Right. And like, I mean, so my entry to it was seeing it on stage. Would you would you concur, Kara, that like you see the stage musical, all the actors seem circa 30 years old, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older, but especially when you see it as a teen in your mind, you're like, oh, these are adults. Considering this now from my big age, like Raul and Christine are like, it's giving recent college graduate. It's giving amoeba with a debit card. Although Raul being very lucky <laughs> would have more than this. But like, Christine, what credit score? Like, she's right. They're figuring it out. Like, they, she has good reasons to really not have like tons of life skills, although she's been. She, she was living on the hard streets of Uppsala, like with her father or whatever. I don't know. Like, we'll get to it. But like, she has experience with being um, unhoused, I would say, due to her father's choices. So I would assume she has like probably some Boy Scout skills, honestly, admirably. She and Raul can bond over that. But like, they're the common they're, sense don't be common sense. Their brains are still forming. And that is not a commentary yes. so much on any of our younger listeners. Like, and isn't it so cool that I can like imagine that we have younger listeners but like they're it's not to diminish anyone younger but I read this now and I'm like oh man they're just kids they're like what the yeah. hell they don't know what's happening they're being terrorized by this creepy horny deranged old man we love you Rick I love him yeah 
And we've, I think you and I have seen performances of the musical where it has really read like, please, old man, stop bothering these two young people. <laughs> like, please let them live. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of, I mean, if someone was like concentrating all their energy into scamming you and you were 22, like how many times was I scammed at 22? So many times. Like, and not yeah. like, you know, formally, but like, you know, people are, people play you because you don't have that much life experience. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, regardless of the age of the actors, which, yeah. All right. I'm going to shout her out real quick. Aged like a fine wine. Lisa Roman, one of the top tier Christines. This woman was 40 years old the first time I saw her play Christine. The first time I ever saw Christine. Iconic. And like, she in no way like looked 40. Nothing wrong with mm-hmm. looking 40. But like, you've, you've seen pictures of her. Like, she's very, she's stunning. She also does not look like a little girl. And it is, it has been very interesting to see it a couple times since with a Christine who looks way more like a little girl. And a lot of times the actor playing Raul, like all of these people are old enough to have like, you know, gone to school a lot and auditioned for many things. It's like if Emily Kawachi was one of the younger Christines, but basically like everyone looks old enough to have had life experience, like very rarely i think will you get a raul and christine who look like the babies that Laro made them you know intended them to be i think yeah so i think you're right to say um what is this it's is it vronsky and then like the sister in anna karenina like they are just two like played by alicia vikander and my husband aaron taylor johnson um that that's like a good like that's what i think of when i think of them it's just like kind of like young idiots unfortunately and i know you're gonna hate to do it kara we will have to link to at least one image of them in the show notes but also uh see him in all things corner uh mads mickelson is also in a movie with alicia vikander where i think you summed it up only days ago by saying he's just a sad old man in love with a hottie alicia vikander never not serving christine (laughs) i know um okay so let's catch you guys up uh if you are just joining us this is a good place to start and then Mm -hmm. you can go back and listen to our episodes if you've already listened to the episodes and you just have a short-term memory loss like i do this might help you and also just like hi if you're bored welcome we're gonna wrap up where we've been so far and then i will i will regale you with my tales of europe not really but i will kind of regale you with some tales of europe I also, never mind, we can't get into it. <laughs> no, but this was actually part of it. It's our, I was like, let's do a catch up pod. And also I truly want to hear about your adventures. You had a special viewing experience in London. And yeah, there's mm-hmm. just several things that happened on the trip that really excited to hear about, but we will, we'll go ahead and talk about the book first, I suppose. So Kara, remind me what happened. All right. Gaston Leroux, Phantom of the Opera. Here we go. He's yeah. posting this in the newspaper, which is also, like, fun. I love a little episodic. Anyway. Many of the AO3 girlies could never. And it's me. I couldn't. Could Weekly? never. Weekly? Nope. <laughs> the Phantom of the Opera does exist. Mm-hmm. Banger. So we kind of get, the whole thing is told in flashback, right? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, the memory loss is hitting. But anyway. So we're kind of, we get kind of, like, all right, all this shit has already happened. There was this crazy situation with this guy 
this mysterious fan of the opera at the Paris Opera House. And I'm going to tell you all about it. And so we have this narrator who's kind of, we'll call him Gaston Leroux, but there's this narrator who's like a reporter and he's going to tell you all about what happened some years prior with the situation with the Phantom of the Opera. So it's set in the 1880s. We have a switching of supervisors, which as any of us in any industry know, could be a nightmare. (laughs) The devil you know, you know. So (laughs) the managers are leaving and they're like, we're going to get some new managers for the Paris Opera House. And so instant chaos. These people don't know how to run an opera house. Instant chaos. Joseph Bouquet is found dead. It's not not whenever in Mad Men the British people tried to take over Sterling Cooper and it was just like someone's foot got caught with a lawnmower. Like it's that level immediately, of yeah. what the hell. Yes. So new managers, immediately someone's dead. Hilarious. Yep. Not hilarious. We don't really know what the deal is. We meet some of the ballerinas. They're all freaking out. People are like, it's the Phantom of the Opera. The new managers are like, the what? Great. Great start. Yeah. Anytime anything anywhere goes wrong people are like it's rick but they're not saying rick because they're like it's the phantom of the opera but like yeah he's responsible for some stuff but the degree to which they're blaming everything on the phantom of the opera like i I could not find a parking spot and that's because phantom of the opera like okay team right right they're like my phone used to hold a full charge for a really long time and now it's like goes down to 50 percent really quickly that's because of the phantom of the opera yeah it's all him so same night, so Joseph Bouquet is like a, he's a stagehand guy. He's dead. That's bad. The ballerinas are fucking drunk. Christine Daae has to stand in for the usual soprano, La Carlotta, and everyone's like, Christine Daae. This NPC broad, whomst? Yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh, she's got a set of pipes on her, which is crazy. Crazy. At the same time, we meet um, one of the patrons of the opera, which I learned all about patrons when I went to the Ooh. opera. I, I'll have to send you all the research I did because I did do research like a crazy person. Anyway, like a so one of the patrons of the opera, one of the aristocrats is the Comte de Chagny Philippe, and he brings his little brother Raoul, who happens to have known Christine back in the day when they grew up together in the seaside village of Paros. And so he's like, oh, shit. I know that girl, Christine. Can it be Christine? And so he's like, I'm going to go say hi, but like kind of in a boundary crossing way. And so, because she's kind of like, "Mm." she's like, "Mm." and so he rolls up to her dressing room to say hello and he hears a voice. Well, she has to pretend like she doesn't know him at first, which will come back. Yeah. Yeah. She she goes, she's like, I don't. mm -hmm." And so he goes into the dressing room and he hears a man's voice talking to her and he's like wow you did such a great job <laughs> i'm so sorry eric horny man of the voice. opera is like wow you did a really great job um you sang also, for me blah 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 also you must love me just throwing it in there memo just throwing it out there like <laughs> if you're if you're down and so raul's like what the hell like there's this other guy who's in line for this girl and so yeah christine's kind of like raul who i don't remember you i don't know you don't talk to me, like, completely curves him. And then he gets a note and is like, hey, by the way, I'm going to be visiting my father's gravesite in Paros on Thursday. I'm free on Thursday if you want to stop by on Thursday when I'm free. Yeah, she went from I don't know her to you up real quick. Yes. And so Raul immediately misses the train because he's just like me. 
Uh-huh. And then he gets on the next train and he's like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And we kind of learn, like, yeah, her father was, like, this Scandinavian violinist who kind of sold all their shit to, like, try to make it big. Didn't really work out. Mm-hmm. Really uh, interesting situation that they kind of ended up in. They kind of got discovered by this guy, Professor Valerius, and he kind of pays for them to show up and go to Paris. Christine gets schooled in singing. She gets to go to the conservatory. They vacation with the Valerius's in Paros, which is where she got to meet Raoul. So she's kind of, her and her father are kind of um, supported by these Valerius's. And since then, Professor Valerius has died, but Mama Valerius takes care of Christine and like they live in an apartment together in Paris right now. Yeah, with Daddy Day, it was it was giving conservatorship just a little bit, just a little bit. But he also had them and like who can say? Yeah, he's and so Brian Daye, which is because Mm -hmm. he is not he is not named in the book, so we have decided his name is Brian. Um, Not Charles. It is not Gustav. No, no, it is not. We can like (laughs) assume, but it is not David. So anyway, Brian. goes to the sea for his health, simply doesn't really work out. He dies. She ends up at the Paris Ombre house. And, but before he dies, he always tells this one story where he's like, hey guys, one thing that is a real thing is, you know, you'll be visited if you're really good and you practice your piano and like da 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 da. Really good musicians are people who have been visited by the angel of music. And if you practice and you, you know, have the luck that you need, you will be visited by the angel of music. I've never been visited by the angel of music, but perhaps Christine, you will be visited by the angel of music. And in fact, when I die, you can, you might be visited by the angel of music. And then you're going to be like, you know, music will comfort you and you'll be gifted with kind of this musical ability beyond what you can just get from practicing, which is kind of, it's kind of metaphorical. Yeah. I think the book makes it very clear that like, it's a metaphor. It is figurative. It is not a man in a cloak who shows up and is like, hey. But unfortunately, something gets lost in translation with Christine because yeah. then she, she's she been hearing this voice in her dressing room. And she, we think classically, she was kind of like, oh, are you the angel of music that my father mentioned? And Rick, arm full of groceries, like really just winging it, was like, Yep, that's exactly what happened. I am the angel of music. So he kind of like, yes, and did his way into being the angel of music. And so she's just like, oh, cool. There's this disembodied voice that helps me practice. This is the literal angel of music. And he can't like correct her (laughs) at this point. And, And vibe check her now guardian, Mama Valerius, um, on top of the situation, would you say? Yeah, Yeah, Raul... People can hate on Raul, but I mean, both versions of Raul in the abridged version and non-abridged version, pretty understandable. This Raul especially notes several times, and he is not wrong, that it's like literally no one with common sense was a vital part of Christine Dye's upbringing. So honestly, she's doing her best. He's like, no, she's, I like stories too. We both bonded over stories. I know that there are stories. These people, it really does seem like he's not mad at her so much for not always having the discernment. 
youth pastor Raul, but he does, he seems pretty frustrated, honestly, at her father and especially Mama Valerius for being like, you didn't do home training. You just didn't. No, Mama Valerius is like, Raul, please stop correcting her. This is the angel of music. Don't know and why she is invested in this lie. <sighs> yeah, a lot going on with Mama Valerius. Yeah. So he's, Raul's like, this doesn't make sense. She's been hearing this voice in her dressing room. She's never seen the guy, but she's like, oh no, you know, it's the angel's voice or whatever, the disembodied voice. It's cool. And to be fair, she's been doing well in her Mm -hmm. profession since Rick has been taking over, which has been about two or three months, right? Well, and it does seem like she thought that only she could hear it, which is, yes, as we briefly touched on in one like that is that is how a lot of times like well you know i'm not going to do a complete reread of the bible but like hey that angel that appears to mary and tells her it's about to get real interesting for you yeah only she can see that that is i think that is typically how angels only be appearing to and heard by who they choose Mm -hmm. so it would probably make sense to christine that if a spirit spoke to her it would be as though it was in her head so Mm -hmm. She probably thinks it's in her head, but, like, in a spiritual way. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She doesn't know about the walls thing. Um, And she's very religious. So, I don't know. I think that could be part of it. Yeah, exactly. And so, Raul's on the train to Paros. He rolls up. She's at the Holiday Inn Express. Mm -hmm. He's like, I love you. (laughs) Yeah, there's one hotel owner. And so, uh, he's like, I love you. I'm sorry, like, you know, kind of to do this because I know that there's, like, another guy. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, the other guy in your dressing room. And she's like, excuse me? And he's like, yeah, like, the voice who said, like, and then he quotes the the angel and what he said. And she's like, excuse me? You could hear that? So then, yeah, this idea that, like, she was being spoken to by a voice in her head that only she could hear, other people can hear that. Which is also very funny because what else has been said? <laughs> it's honestly, it's not really the same thing as deconversion, but as someone who's like kind of experienced, I've more or less deconverted. Like a crisis of faith is really nothing you get over in like a day. You're not immediately bouncing back from it. So I would yeah. say something of a crisis of faith begins for her because she thought it was an angel. If Raul can hear it, that may not necessarily be the case. Although she does then say, like, you heard the angel too. But, like, she begins to have questions pretty immediately because the fact that Raul could hear it alone brings a whole lot of things into question for her. And so, you know, she's at the sea for her health. And it's it's just so great for her that what she then gets to do is simply sit on the beach in peace and mind her business until she's uh, had time to, like, you know, collect herself. Isn't that what happens, right? That's what yeah for sure um nope so (laughs) so she's like she like explains the angel of music thing to him and he's like doesn't make sense chief and she's like "Uh uh-oh and so she leaves he's kind of a dick to her because like there's been this guy in her dressing room and she's kind of like having this crisis and so she leaves she goes to the sea it's not really working uh and then he hears her leave the holiday and express he hears the key card in the door and he He's follows mad. her and she's like world war z like rage sprinting uh-huh. to her father's <laughs> tomb because i'm so sorry to but yes 
<laughs> but yes. So we hear like the song of Lazarus, which is being performed on a violin. Daddy Daye was a violinist. And so we hear this music and she's walking to the tomb. It's like cold ass, like winter shit. She's not wearing like enough clothes for this. No. And he follows her and there's this music and she's like, kind of like the ecstasy of St. Teresa. Like she's like Mm -hmm. ecstatic that this music is happening, but she's kind of in this trance. And so then uh, in a Scooby-Doo type maneuver... (laughs) There's like a a pile of skulls and there's a guy on the skulls. <laughs> of course there is. And, it's a guy. And, and Raul pursues him and he kind of <laughs> Scooby Doo runs away with yeah. the skulls. A guy with a pillow case on his head runs away, possibly having exhumed a man and taken the violin. Yeah. You gotta it's, assume it's, there it's... would be damage to the violin though. Okay, we we can't we can't right. we don't know. Exactly. We don't know. Exactly. It was know. not in con- in great conditions. Like I used to have a clarinet made out of wood and like even in humidity, like that shit would get fucked. Like you have to like climate control your wooden instruments. Yeah. I gotta um, tune my flop ukulele a lot. What imagine if Rick just like was there in the graveyard with the ukulele. But anyway, like shit immediately starts. Doing going a Colleen sideways. apology. But yeah, um, <laughs> runs after this man with a Scooby-Doo disguise on and grabs at him. And he grabs at him, it doesn't work. So then he no. wakes up, like, well, he sees in the something. hospital or some shit. Oh, he sees him? Yes, he sees yeah, yeah. Uh, Death. He sees Death's head, and he's like, oh no, and then he passes out. Mm-hmm. Then he wakes up, the cops are there, right? Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like, what happened? And he's like, I don't know. So then, meanwhile, back at the ranch, <laughs> uh, we have our new managers, Richard and Moncharmont, are like, this shit is not great. Because they're being blackmailed for the equivalent of, like, over a million dollars. And he has a lot of so requests. He's like, you gotta leave box five empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to let Christine sing Marguerite in Faust, since mm-hmm. Carlotta will be sick. Uh, and make this. sure that you you guys fired Madame Giry, who's the box attendant. You need to rehire her. And they say no to all of these. Carlotta gets a text that says, don't perform or else XOXO Gossip Girl. She says, fuck that. And she shows up. So Even though she looked out the window and there was a hearse, which we know <laughs> Rick put there. Like the dramatic little bitch, affectionate that he is. But yeah, I just just gotta break in and say that anytime we're doing a scene with the managers, spoilers for Succession season four, it's giving election night. It's giving when that guy got wasabi in his eye and then Greg tried to put like limoncello or whatever to like fix it. Yeah. That is the problem solving level that is taking place at the Paris Opera at all times. Like at all times. So they ignore all the requests. They're yep. like, we're not going to be blackmailed by some clown. Like, I don't know what this, like, bullshit is, but, like, like this is not how, like, a theater spam. is to be run. We're not dealing with it. Yeah. They're ignoring it. And so they didn't rehire Madame Jury, who got fired. Mm-hmm. They let Carlotta perform Faust, and they don't leave Box 5 empty. So Box 5, the people who are sitting in Box 5, there's, like, all this, like, ruckus there's just like people talking behind them and they're like, shut the fuck up. And they're like, no, there's people talking and it's getting louder and louder. 
people are talking in the box other boxes are taking notice like everyone's super annoyed they're like calling the ushers they're like can you tell them to shut the fuck up like they're they're facetiming they're watching tiktoks during the opera and the people aren't actually doing this it's just rick playing like silly sounds in the background uh, to upset people until they leave the box. It's Rick in full Kevin McAllister mode. Like, there's no one in the house, but he's making it look like there's party going on. Like, an iconic scene exactly. of cinema. But, like, and he's also doing this with, like, basically only his voice, which is ridiculous and horny and we hate it. But it's all Rick. Him. It's all Rick. Rick it's the opera ghost. Yeah. So then Carlotta also has been getting, like, some, like, Twitter shade from, like, the Christine Daae fans. So she like gets her stands, her little monsters together. And yes. she's like, everyone show up. <laughs> she's like, everyone show up to Faust. You know, come correct. And we're going to really just, like, bring the house down with support for Carlotta. So then, like, Christine, like, and her little stands don't, like, the Swifties can't beat us. And it's just not the case. There are no Swifties for Christine Daae, unfortunately. Which makes me sad, but unfortunately, that does take a lot of work, Christine, and you're not doing the work. And so, she's performing as Marguerite, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, she can't sing anymore. She's croaking like a toad. Then we get two pages of description about what that sounds like, but whatever. You yeah. can listen to that episode. <laughs> if you've ever heard a frog, you're good. That's the one. So she can't. she can't sing anymore. Huh? That's that's maybe one of the best choices text made. Like, okay, I we have established that she sounds like a frog, which everyone knows what that sounds like. Moving on, which Gaston Leroux and David Coward did not say, but uh, yeah, no. didn't turn out great, guys. <laughs> did not turn out great. So Carlotta can't sing anymore. She's super humiliated in front of all of her stands. Mm -hmm. It's Ashley Simpson at SNL when she was revealed to be lip syncing, and. <sighs> crazy moment of history and uh then meanwhile the woman who's taking over for madame jury the new temp that they hired is sitting in the orchestra and she's got like a big ass hat on and she's sitting in the middle of the orchestra and so rick says okay you're not gonna rehire madame jury he drops the chandelier on the new person and kills her yeah did we have we at any point clarified in this podcast why we are calling the Phantom of the Opera Rick? Because at this point in the novel, oh yes, we've heard no, the we name of we've heard the name of Eric. I think because Christine said poor Eric. Wait, has she even said it yet? I don't know. No, I don't think she says it until the masquerade. But she thinks he's an angel, okay. so she's got to like correct him. Okay, so at this point, she still thinks he's an angel. He, his, he has a name because he's just a guy, mm -hmm. and his name is Eric, which we don't know if that's his birth name or what at this point, do we? Got oh, it. I think he just says, like, he just came up with it. This fucking book. No, because, yeah, we don't find out any of this until after the mask book, because at the ma mask raid, she's going, poor Eric. Raul's like, who the fuck is Eric? On the roof, she tells him about Eric. But we ain't, we're not even there yet. Carlotta has been disgraced, but... The fan of the opera, yes. which we know because we're in fan of the opera dark web and have been on the internet. His name is Eric, but all this is the doing of the opera ghost, Rick, whatever you want to call him. Exactly. So, but this is where we get to that part. So Carlotta's yeah. disgrace, Christine's in full crisis mode still, and Raul's like, ugh, like, I don't know how I feel about this whole thing. Christine's like, hey, are you free? Are you up? We're going to a masquerade ball. And he's like, absolutely. He goes to Party City. He gets... A domino costume, he shows up. Yeah. And she's like, hey. Because previously she had disappeared. Yeah, he went to be like, I want to go, you know, 
I'm, I'm getting her. We're going to Denny's. But then he saw her like walking through the mirror. And then. Oh, does. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is mad that she went on a staycation with a man. So he goes to Mama Valerius's house to find out like why she's a whore in that way. And Mama Valerius is like, mind your business. It's the angel of music. But also she's not allowed to get married. Of course. Mama Valerius presents a bunch of like buck wild information about the angel of music and why Christine is not allowed to get married in the most like, yeah, she might as well end every sentence with famously. And Raul is like, I, and then at some point in there, like someone sees her in like a carriage in like Ho Park, it's the Bois. And then she like flings a note out of it and is like, help me. Yeah. Whatever. Is that where she says, meet me at the mass ball? Gaston, you wrote a confusing book. Sorry. I know. Yeah, so Philippe's like, girl, we need to go to the club. We got to get you, like, a rebound because he's sad about Christine. Yeah. And then he goes to the Bois de Bologna, and we see Christine in the Uber pool throwing a note out. And he's like, okay, cool. So anyway, so she's like, hey, meet me at the mass ball. He's like, cool. She's like, I want to tell you everything. He's like, word. Mm-hmm. But he's like, he's still kind of like, mad because it's like it's it is very confusing and this would be very confusing if you didn't know what was going on we've read it so he's so exactly so he shows up this is when he shows up to the dressing room to be like i'm gonna hide out and see what the deal is and she's like poor eric and he's like who the fuck is eric and he like goes to like reveal himself yeah and he sees her go through in a kaleidoscope of color she goes through the mirror and disappears yes and he's like, what the fuck? Yeah, okay. So before that, all he knew was that she would periodically disappear. And he chalked that up to, like, she's doing Girls Gone Wild. But he didn't see it happen yes. until this And time. now he's like, oh, what is happening? Um, so before that, I'm sorry. <laughs> so before that, he goes to the mass ball. Mm-hmm. She's there. She's kind of being weird. She's like, bro, we got to, like, get away. Da, 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 da. Her we skincare routine has fallen off gone. completely. Yeah. She looks awful. <laughs> Weird. And then we hear boots on the stair. <gasps> mm. It's Rick in a full gown, beautiful gown, mm-hmm. that says, don't touch me, I am the Red Death stalking abroad, which is amazing. And everyone's, like, losing their minds. It's, like, it's giving Met Gala. And in that time, they kind of run away, and she's like, hey, like, this shit is actually, like, really whack. They hide in a box. Rick almost finds them. It's very scary. Mm-hmm. And, Ra- and so Raul is like, I'm gonna of... fight him. And Christine is like, Bestie, yeah, you're and not. Like, you can't. No. And you really can't. And so then he hides in the dressing room, sees her disappear. Yeah. He sees her again. He tracks her ass down again. And he's like, Hey, babe, I'm going to the North Pole. Ever heard of it? She's like, Okay, cool. Before you go to the North Pole, let's be fake secret fiancés. Um, and let's pretend like we're going to get married. But like, realistically, in X amount of months, you're going to go off and I'm going to stay here. And when she says stay here, she really means she's going to be staying at this opera forever because Rick will never let her go. So they re-meet, they agree, hey, let's just like make the best of like the next few weeks. We'll um, kind of, you know, I think like act like we're engaged in that like we can be alone together, we can hang out together. Mm-hmm. There's no really like impropriety happening. We Even can, though like, no one knows Run around it, the opera house. Yeah, no one knows about it. And she tells the story. She's like, I heard a beautiful voice talk and sing to me. This must be the angel of music. I thought that only I could hear it. 
And then obviously I found out that like you could hear it. So that kind of made me realize like, oh shit, like maybe this isn't actually the situation that I thought I was in. When the chandelier falls, she was yeeted into the mirror and she kind of was like in a trance. Um, She was chloroformed. Yeah. Struggled violently. Let's be clear. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So she gets yanked into the fucking mirror. She's like fighting this man off with her fingernails like, fuck no. He chloroforms her, which is <laughs> like the nineteen eighty six musical was like, I suddenly can't read, I don't know. Like what if it was fun and flirty? Yeah. No. He chloroforms her. She's not into it. Guys. Up. No, it's very bad. She's on a horse. So earlier in the um book, one of the horses goes missing. Mm-hmm. We see that horse now. Rick has taken the horse to that so old town. Uber her. Exactly. <laughs> And then she realizes, like, because the guy's talking in the voice, he's like, she's like, oh, shit, it's this fucking guy. Yeah. Um, and he wears a mask. Slipping in and out of consciousness. Puts her on a horse, gets her off the horse, puts her on a boat, takes her off the boat. They're in a house now underneath yeah. the opera house. She goes immediately like, and, from screaming to being like, what the hell? What's this Ikea house? What's happening? And I really respect that. I think she does what we would all do, mm. in, hopefully in theory is, like, she goes right into, like, okay, I have been taken hostage. What do I need to say to get me to survive this? Yeah. And so she's, like, super nice to him. She's, like, oh, this is cool. Like, show me around your house. She's, like, she's very, like, nice about it. And he's, like, cool. We're going to stay down here forever. Uh, Just one rule. Don't touch my mask. And she's, like, okay. Touches his mask. Mm-hmm. Rips it off. Mm. And he's got this, like, death's head skull face, like, no nose, like, just, she, I think, in a bunch of different versions, I think there's kind of this sense of, like, oh, like, this is, like, you know, you know, maybe it's Raoul with a mask, maybe it's Timothy Chalamet with a mask, you know, like, it's kind of, like, oh, this is just a a person who is wearing a mask to disguise who they are, not a person wearing a mask to obscure a facial difference that is so shocking that like people cannot look at it without like being disgusted yeah. and and hate it because prior to the uh, unmasking and... she screamed at him iconic behavior this is like she has a little moment of forgetting that she's supposed to be like telling him what he wants to hear she's like show me your face if it covers the face of an honest man so she just absolutely thinks she's been abducted by some dude in like a ski mask exactly and it's like no the ski mask is on there for a reason yeah so she rips it off and he's like, fuck, now that you've seen this, you can't ever leave because, like, you're going to, you know, go tell people about it. And also, like, you're never going to come back. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, you can never leave. And so then she kind of really gets into, like, hostage mode. And she's like, okay, this shit went south. How do I get out of this? And so she's really nice to him. But also, she kind of, like, cokes him back to, like, trying to calculate her ass out of here also crucially just because i think it matters the unabridged version gives us a lot more of you know he like basically uh threatens to kill her in a variety of words and then like truly slinks off and begins playing his music don juan triumphant he had refused to play her his music before but it is partially it's hearing his music and just like the anguish and unfathomable depths of pain that this is tapping into it's a it's Johnny Cash's cover of her, but no, she's she is so genuinely and profoundly moved by the pain evident in his music that that empowers her to kind of get what she needs to make it out of their life. I think. Yeah, 
And then we also have, like, we talked about this, but, like, kind of cut from the original text, you know, the, the threat of, like, yeah, he could kill her, but, like, then also, like, the threat of assault is, like, mm-hmm. ever-present. And because, like, there's a bed and there's a bedroom that he has for her mm-hmm. and there's, like, a bathroom that he has for her. Um, shout out to all the fan fictions that talk about the lit bathroom that he makes for her. Um, but she does, she always keeps that thing on her. She always keeps a pair of scissors on her in case, not that she would have to stab him, but in case she would have to, uh, stab herself to get out of, um, a horrifying situation. Yeah, basically. And she's, that's crazy. She's going to end it for herself before she will, uh, be assaulted. And, that's certainly a thing that I can understand why people would have trouble with it, but it also is something that I just really wish hadn't been left out of the abridged text because it's just it's it's this is Christine Dye, folks. She absolutely don't know a better Christine Dye. But also, she feels a very strong way about this. Uh, we may end up cutting it. I don't know, but like for for her to take actions to end her own life is I I think it's a pretty big deal in many religions. Christine is a very devout Catholic. So it's nothing that's elaborated on more, but like, is she? I will look at. I think more. there's discourse because I I yeah. always assume she was Catholic, but because she's Swedish, I've had several people tell me she might be Lutheran. She goes to mass though, but did they have like Lutheran mass? They might have had it, but the point she's very religious, and so for her to even consider that, yeah. it just just one of many things. Yeah. It's very it adds a depth yeah. to. It adds a depth to the situation that, um, unfortunately, does make it less horny, mm-hmm. uh, which I think would have been good for us yeah. as brain-dead people. Well, we have fun um, referring so to anyway, her. So anyway, so she's... Sorry, is very And I think soft, it also... But... Oh, yeah, go for it. No, I was just going to say, it's... It, the fun thing about AUs in different versions is that you can write the characters however you want. Gaston Moreau, while writing Eric the Phantom with a tremendous amount of compassion, also didn't pull any punches with the lengths of what he will go to to achieve what he wants, what he feels entitled to, what he feels he must have. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, like, because there's this, like, sorry to the people who don't (laughs) spend a lot of time on the Phantom of the Opera opera Dark Web. There's a lot of discourse about, you know, what would Eric do, etc. In the book, we have this very clear image of her being super nervous because she doesn't she even in the book itself christine does not know what eric is capable of and what he what he could do and she also is telling this to raul Mm -hmm. which i think is also very like simultaneously smart and also important that she's like look dude like this this was the situation i wasn't like this was not a party i was not having a great time like I was a hostage and like I don't necessarily want you to kill him because like for a lot of reasons and also like he would definitely kick your ass but like I'm just letting you know that like you had some ideas about my impropriety this was actually what the case was and then he Eric also gave her a ring to wear as a symbol of her faithfulness to him and then also she's like no for sure I'm definitely going to visit you a bunch which she it seems like she yeah. does she does kind of visit him and it's not to say um, that there's not And so Raul's like Oh, just not to yeah. say that there's not a very complicated eroticism at play for her, because there absolutely is. But yeah, she's letting him know it. it is neither one thing nor the other, Raul. It's 
there's a lot going on here. It's very complicated. Also, um, Rick is overhearing all of this, which to anyone who's ever like maybe seen a movie or read a book before, like, of course he is. And Gaston Leroux also <laughs> lets us know immediately, like a shadow is following them as they go up to the roof. Yeah. They're hearing whimpering there's and like moaning. There's like a guy like coughing and shit. He's like, he's like and he says, if they had looked up, they would have seen the great shadow right above them. So we do know the whole time during the scene, which we don't in the musical, but in the book, Gaston the Rose, like Rick can hear all of this, just so you know. Yeah. Because there's like a guy in the, there's like a voice on the wind being like, I don't know if it happened like that. He's <laughs> like, and it's like, okay, well, I think someone's listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this whole thing takes place on the roof. So my musical heads, this is kind of that rooftop scene where she's like, it's very complicated. Like I, like his, his voice and his music and his whole thing is like so moving to me, but like at the same time, like he'll kill me. Like there's a lot going on. He, He fills me with horror and yet I do not hate him. Exactly. And so she's telling this to Raul. Raul's like, cool, cool, cool. I've actually got the, um flights up on my phone already we have to fucking leave like you can't like this is not it and I can't sit idly by as you like basically like resign your life to this because I think as she's like you know taking him around the opera house they never leave the opera house but like as she's taking him around the opera house and showing him all the fun places in the opera house and like all this stuff there's kind of the sense that she knows that like once he's gone and she doesn't have any other friends, it's over. Like, she's going down there, and she's not going to come back up. Yeah. Um, and so Raul's like, we got to leave. And she's like, yeah, for sure. Um, one thing, I do have to sing for him one last time. Um, I have an appointment with playing Marguerite, and then, and then we'll go. So he's like, okay, fine, I'll make the flight for tomorrow night. Um, and he hates it. He thinks it's a terrible idea, but he and also she's like, he can't convince her. Yeah. He's like, this is, and yeah. she's like, if I say no tomorrow, like, I'm going to need you to, like, maybe pick me up and just carry me out. Because I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but, like, you need to promise me to kind of get me out of here. Because yeah. I probably will change my mind. So he gets his carriage going. He, he um, kisses her so intensely that I guess her ring falls off. Oh, yeah. Kisses her so intensely. They kind of run away. They run into this mysterious figure who isn't Rick. No. Who's like, don't go this way. Go the other way. And this is where we meet kind of the Persian, not for the first time, but, and not for the last time. Um, but he's like, oh, like, don't go this way. Like, it's going to go south for you. He's just one of many people and, who's at the opera because what badge access? Anyone can. It, it, it's, it's sort of like an open office space. Anyone can just be there. But he's like, run over here, guys. I will say, as someone who does not have badge access to the Opera Garnier in 2023, I was walking around. Oh my god, we're so I, right. I be walking. I was like, you can just kind of walk around. There's absolutely no one who is telling you not to go places. Uh, one of my friends was like, see if you can sneak down there. And like, unfortunately, I did have my mom. But like, it is truly just like an open, almost public. Like, you didn't need to have a ticket. But it is just an open situation. You can just kind of walk around wherever. And then like, the only thing that's blocking you is like, little courts. <laughs> cordoned off areas but like if you wanted to like really sneak into the opera you absolutely could love it and that's me not rick yeah but so so she loses at this point is this the part is this the horny part where 
the gun? No, not yet. Okay, so first she's like, she okay. loses, she realizes she lost her ring and starts like hollering, Eric, Eric, yeah. forgive me. And Raul's like, Shh, I thought you had just said that he could hear you whenever you called for him. So what are you doing? And she's like, well, he said that I would be safe as long as the ring was on my finger. It has fallen off, which I, I guess happened when you really did intense like tongue kissing i don't even know but anyway she's like it fell off so did he rick rip it off did rick rip off her ring i don't know that we're meant to explore the mechanics of how her ring simply fell off when they were kissing but maybe i don't know rick rick could probably do it if he set his mind to it but the ring came off rick definitely overheard that and saw them doing kissing and planning to run away and then she starts like hollering and he's like shh and once again says, I think we should go. And she's like, no, nope, got to sing for him. And then he goes to his home, starts arranging things and the horny part. <laughs> so Raul's snoozing as he's wont to do. He wakes up, eyeballs at the end of the bed. Yellow eyes. Only one man yellow has yellow eyes, eyes. Of a guy. Rick. And he takes out his gun from under his pillow and shoots. And then there's just like blood down the drain. Yeah. He goes, he goes for the brain. Cause you know, who else has seen the walking dead? Raul, big, big fan. Yeah. And so he, he runs, whatever. He like chases after this, like, they're like, it was a cat. It was not a cat. It was Raul Rick. knows um, it's but not he a cat. evades him. Yeah. And Philippe shows up and is like, Hey, can you maybe like not shoot off your fucking gun? It's three o'clock in the yeah. morning, you piece of shit. And he's like, dude, this crazy shit's happening. He kind of fills him in. <laughs> Like, um, while we're at it, can you like also not elope with this opera wench? <laughs> and he's like, too late. Uh, I'm gonna elope. And Philippe's like, ugh, like eh. drama. He's he's lukewarm about it. Um, but then, so then we have three carriages lined mm -hmm. up. We got Philippe's carriage, we got Carlotta's carriage, and we have Raoul's carriage. Yeah, and Sorelli has to do street parking because it's not room for her. Sorelli, we haven't even talked about, <laughs> but she's the haughty ballerina that everyone thinks is dumb. Actually, she's amazing. She and Philippe are boning, but like, there's no plans to get married because one simply does not marry these girlies that are at the opera. And no. Philippe is like, no, I got no problem with Christine Dye as your side piece. What do you mean you're going to Vegas? And Raul's like, shut up. Anyway. Yeah. So Sorelli, I mean, we can't even, there's not even words to describe. Love her. And also, as we spoke about before, my musical heads, Meg Jiri is basically if they took Sorelli and the character name Meg and combined them because and then also made her friends with Christine mm -hmm. because the Meg Jiri in the book is like this little like twerp of a kid and is not best friends with Christine. And then also I we don't need to get into it, but in the musical, Christine is not like a chorus she is a chorus girl. But she also dances in the ballet, and that's just because Sarah Brightman could do ballet, yeah. and they wanted to showcase they, that. They kind of had to so the only reason them. that she's in the ballet is because of that. So like Christine in the book is not in the ballet. Why just did a little I think fun this would be Sarah. easier to recap? But yeah, so <laughs> but also everyone knows their business. The next morning, we're pretty sure that there's a blind item in the paper because Rick really is like, "Hey, this guy, he's gonna run away with her." But also because all of these people are messy and none of them are quiet, probably all the servants know their business. It's giving the Roy children screaming in the boardroom. That's that's Raul and Philippe. <laughs> exactly. 
And so it's not a secret. Raul is in the stalls. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, I also sat Ugh. in the stalls. I'm so sorry. <laughs> he's protesting, actually, by not sitting in his brother's box with him. Yeah, so he's sitting in the stalls. He's watching the whole shit go down. Christine's going to sing one last time. Surely nothing can go wrong. Surely. Something goes wrong. She's singing her ass off to, like, to the angels or something. And then, boom, pitch black, trap door probably. Lights go up. She's gone. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, oh, that's crazy. And so the only person who gives a shit where Christine is, seemingly, is Raul. And then there's, like, also some, like, minimum wage employees who are like, huh, I wonder what happened. They're like, a woman disappeared. We should, like, try and find her, right? Yeah. So Raul is trying to figure out where they are. He goes to the managers who are acting absolutely crazy. Mm. And he tries to get answers from them. It's not really working out. This guy shows up behind him, horny, and is like, hey, I know where he took her. And he's like, what? So now, where we have left off, I believe, and we'll get into the managers in a second, but where we have left off is that Raul and the Persian are going to team up to try to find Christine because he has an idea of where where he has taken her. Meanwhile, the managers are not very happy with being blackmailed. And so what they have been doing, which looks crazy to the naked eye, is they've been retracing their steps in a variety of ways to try to fake give Rick the money in an attempt to trap him. But unfortunately, Rick is always playing 3D chess. And so when they try to, like, they put the money out and then stake out the box, he swaps out the money for clown money. Mm -hmm. He made clown money. This is what he does. And Madame Jerry's, like, kind of explaining that, like, yeah, the, the handoff, like, is actually a lot more complicated than you fucking think. And, like, you're not going to outsmart him. And they're like, this is crazy. So they lose, like, 40 grand. Yeah. In, like, this journey of, like, trying to, like, scam this man. You can't outdo the deal. And then one Um, of them thinks the other stole it. And people, like, interns are trying to be like, an SVU happened. We have to get Mariska Hargitay in here to find Christine Diet. And they're like, shh, where's my money at? (laughs) Right. So they kind of call the cops for mostly the money and then, like, a little bit the SVU situation. But, like, it's mostly for the money. And so the cops are here. The managers are looking, sort of. The Persian and Raul have teamed up. Um, Raul shoots his shot by saying the fan of the opera is real. He's also the angel of music. He's also Eric. You know, I'm at the Taco Bell. I'm at the Dunkin' Donuts. I'm at the combination Taco Bell Dunkin' Donuts. It's just a mess. No one fucking believes him. And they're like, the police chief is like, uh, I actually heard that she like ran off with your brother. So <sighs> to just to, to yeah. get Raul and like, out what? and his idea is that Raul and then will you... find Christine and he won't have to do his job. Yes. And the, and the Persian is like, Hey, they didn't believe you about the Rick stuff. Right. Like, and no. he's like, no, they like laughed Absolutely at me and he's not. like, perfect. Let's go. <laughs> so at this point they're they're gonna go try to find rick i think it's gonna go super well i think it's gonna be really easy to find them and i think it's gonna be uh super like a chill conversation to get christine back yeah for sure just gonna go they're gonna go talk it out and um yeah they're they're going down into the darkness deep as hell just like you could have if your mom had not been there kara Tell us what you've been doing and why we needed to postpone this episode. Thank you so much. Um, I was in London, ever heard of it. And then I went to Paris, also ever heard of it. Just did a real who's who, a moose bouche of um, phantom locations. 
uh, which my mom did not know she was doing uh, until it was too late. So, like, I met up with, like, a friend from Phantom Dark Web. That was fun. And then, like, we ended up at the Opera Garnier. And, like, we're walking around the gift shop trying to be cool and normal. There is an entire section of the Opera gift shop that's just Phantom-themed. I got a lot of stupid stuff. Did you feel the Rick energy, like, with you? Oh, yeah. It was really cool. I mean, it was really helpful because, like, yeah, it was really interesting, like, just being someone who writes Phantom of the Opera fan fiction, um, seeing the space so then you can describe it accurately, which is cool. I went to... They did this ballet called Menon, which is the version they did was like from the 70s. It was very like directed by a man. Um, But it was still fun because like I got to dress up and like you get to like walk up the stairs that like are the stairs that they like obviously designed the masquerade stairs after. Obviously the stairs from the book where they did masquerade. That was really cool. Just to check, is it they only do ballet at the... I don't know. At Rick's home, they only do ballet, and then they do operas at, like, some other weird space. Is that... It seems like it. It seems like they don't really do a lot of operas in the opera house. I don't know if it's maybe the technology and stuff, but they're doing a version of Romeo and Juliet right now at the (sighs) sister space. That's literally... The set is the grand staircase at the Opera Garnier is the set for Romeo and Juliet at this other space but I did not go see that but my friend saw it and she said it was like very phantom adjacent Uh, like very like masquerade and like whatever but they were doing it was the story of Romeo and Juliet so that was cool so I saw the ballet which was really fun we sat in the stalls which was um the reason they're called that I learned because I was sitting there um is because they look like horse stalls oh which is interesting so they're all separated it's like like you know how like you would sit in a mezzanine um like in a theater and you're just all together it was like maybe six people in like bar stools almost and then like maybe four or five rows of those six six people rows and then there were these dividers that only went down like a little bit so you couldn't I couldn't see the people next to me and then each stall has its own locked door that like a box keeper has to open for you that it was so cool. And there was, like, obviously I took a selfie in the mirror that's in there. But also, Footstool Nation, oh. everyone's chair got a footstool. Because your leggies just aren't long enough if you're a girl. <gasps> the, your leggies are not long enough to, like, rest your feet on the floor. So each chair had a footstool. And I put my feet on the footstool and I said, Footstool Nation's going to, like, lose it. Because I, I see now. Yeah what this little stool in the box was because believe it or not because we didn't touch on everything that happens in the book but that's like a thing it's like the disembodied voice of rick wanted a footstool and they're like why does a ghost need a footstool does the ghost have broads and madame jury was like hell yeah and then you were you were you experienced a footstool and you two were like hell yeah I experienced a footstool. I don't know if the, I didn't sit in a box, so I wonder if it's, like, the same, like, they're high chairs. Mm-hmm. It's, like, um, you know, a, literally, like, a bar stool. So, like, even if you were, I don't know, a 6'4 gentleman, uh, you would probably still need this stool. Because it's, like, you're just, like, your leggies are not going to touch the ground. So, I don't know. That was, it was interesting. Do you have little treats? And then, of them? course, uh, we, we got a white mm-hmm. wine, and... Yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was very much, like, you could kind of tell, like, 
that at one point it was made to like see and be seen and it wasn't really all about like what was on stage because it was really hard to kind of see what was on stage like the thing it's almost like when you go to a this has happened to me a couple times where you go to a thing that like is meant to be on TV. Like if you go to like good morning America mm-hmm. or something, you can't see shit because it's not really made for an audience. It's made for like it to be on TV. Right. It was kind of like that where like, it was really hard to see what was on stage, but like you could see everybody else. Interesting. Which was interesting. Cause you could kind of tell. And then it was like, there were a lot of like intermissions and it was very, very easy to like leave your little box and like see everybody else. And like, kind of hang out there and then like you could see over into the like main foyer and stuff so it was very like made for like mingling and like showing off and stuff like that which was cool and then I also got to go to the grand foyer which is like beyond the the auditoriums on one end of the building and then the other side is the like this enormous golden like room where like all the rich people would hang out and like bang ballerinas and so I got to go there and I was like so many ballerinas. Did you have a feeling in your spirit when you like saw the building for the first time? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, <laughs> let me tell you because uh, there's scaffolding up, so you actually can't see <gasps> the building. Uh, it's just a giant billboard of Timothy Chalamet. Okay, I was like happy for you that you were gonna get to see it without scaffolding because I had scaffolding. Oh my god, we both had scaffolding. No scaffolding. But I still like as I was Timothy Chalamet. I still as I was going up the steps at sixteen was like, oh my god. I don't know. It was very oh my god, and like um, if you go back far enough, like I was walking later in the day, you can see like the whole roof Mm -hmm. and stuff, and you can see the the guy on the roof, and I'm like, it's the whole thing. It's the green roof and the. So that was cool. And then we, um, the next day when we like went back in to just like walk around, we went to the, the box, we went to box five and there was like a guy who was like also looking at the boxes and he's like, is that the Phantoms box? And I was like, yeah. And then he like took a picture of me in front of the box because I needed someone to do that. And it says, you know, the box of the family opera. Rick's box. I'm very excited. It was great. (laughs) And then, um, how did the in- yeah? So that was really How did the cool. box interior compare it to like a stall interior? I think it was very, very much mm-hmm. the same. Like the whole thing is like upholstered in this like dark red brocade, and you can get uh, pillows, throw pillows in that pattern. So my interior design girl is. I didn't get to go in box five, which made me sad. But I could like see into the box, so like I okay. had the idea. But I think it's very similar to like kind of the right. stall, but like just smaller. Yeah, which was cool. Yeah, it was beautiful and like. Just like so many, so many nooks and crannies in which to get up to. And that beautiful ceiling, you got to see that. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, that, that was interesting. I got to see the, I saw the chandelier and I go, wow, that looks like the chandelier from the (laughs) Phantom of the Opera. And then I was like, (laughs) hey, that's the name of the show. Oh, that's crazy. Because it has the same stuff on it. And I'm like, oh, cool. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's because it's that, this is it. It was, it's so much bigger, but like, obviously. That's fun. And then did you check out any yeah, other ceiling? Yeah, I, I'm sure you, you did a lot, really, that did not have to do with Phantom of the Opera. And that's absolutely right. But was there any other Phantom adjacent moments like with Paris that you experienced? Um, we went to the Rue. We were walking on the Rue de Rivoli, which is famously where the Persian lives. Mm-hmm. They kept directing, like, if you're walking around the Opera House, you can see like where it says like Rue Scribe. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that's where he goes in. Um I'm trying to think what else we went to Versailles which was cool and didn't see the doctor but it still sounds like fun 
Doctor Who. Great. There's a great, there's a very great Doctor Who episode taking place at Versailles. Girl in the Fireplace. Stream that. But oh, so good. Yeah. And then I went to the West End. Yeah, I was gonna ask when I was in London guy. because God forbid I ever do anything that isn't Phantom related. And we saw the West End production of Phantom, and it was truly so good. It was really nice. I haven't seen. <laughs> well, I wondered if you would have like some emotions, need- like at the you know illumination, gentlemen, and that starts because you haven't seen it since Broadway closed, and I know that was super emotional. I was crying, and I wasn't even there, you know. I cried so many. I cried a couple of times. I cried at mass just when I can't. We can't get into this, but when the when the curtain goes up uh, at masquerade and reveals the staircase, don't touch me. Like that's because that's when it was like closing on Broadway. Every time that happened, people yes. applauded, and then when it happened on the West End, like people did still applaud. But it was just like it made me sad because I was like, because that's like it. Like that is it. Um, then obviously credit wishing. Mm-hmm. I saw John Robbins, who's the new West End Phantom. He used to be a Jean Valjean. He was so good. Yay. Very good, solid Phantom. I really want to take the, like, our Phantom girlies to London. We're going to do a meetup. No. <laughs> but we should go because it is wonderful. And I saw Anouk Van Lay, who is, um, one of the understudy. She's, she's not on very often, but she's one of the understudy Christines. I had really hoped to see Paige Blankson, and so I tried to, like, schedule my tickets for seeing her, but unfortunately, I think in the summer they go on vacation mm-hmm. a lot, so she was on vacation, and Holly, Holly Ann Hall, who's the yes. principal Christine, just got she's married, so she was off, so I got- there's two, the two understudies. Yeah, uh, Anouk is one of the understudies, and she was really, really good. It was one of her last Aww. performances, because she's leaving- at the end of this month so that she was really awesome we can't get into um how wonderful meg was i forgot like you know fool me twice but i did forget about the character of meg jiri who is my favorite um but then i was watching it and i was like oh no like this is gonna be a new hot meg and she's a redhead oh yeah she has a cute cute wig i've seen pictures of london meg right now and just very cute she's really really cute and she it was funny because Madame Jury looks like she's related to the Broadway Meg, which I thought was funny because it's like, damn it, if only they had been yeah. on the same show, they really look related. They look, they have like kind of a similar face. Um, Raul. How is the Raul Navy so doing good. at this time? Would you say that the Raul Navy's eating? The Raul Navy, he ate and left. He was so cute. I literally, like, as we know from this podcast, do I love Raul? Not really. Don't, you know, take or leave him. Um, he was doing the work. So goddamn cute. He like was literally like just a little like just a golden retriever of a like brick house jock. Oh my gosh. And he was just so like he wasn't like overly nice to Christine, but like you could he was playing it like they were old childhood friends in that like he was like trying to make her laugh and then like she would laugh and then he would laugh. It was, like, clearly had, like, some sort of, like, there were times when he was saying lines in a way that was, like, this is an inside joke between us. Aww. And they would, like, have this kind of conspiratorial moment. And I was just, like, vibrating in my seat. Like, are you fucking kidding me? It was so cute. And Phantom was wonderful. So, like, the final layer was excellent. And, like, it was just, like, really good. Just, like, a really angry Phantom, but also, like, very sensual. Like, it was really wonderful. And if you... 
anyone who's near London thinking about going to London, if you go to London right now, they just redid the His Majesty's mm-hmm. Theater, and apparently uh, we we did the box experience, which like Speak on it. I've I've watched the show in the Broadway boxes like a million times. They're they're discounted tickets because it's kind of a yeah, me view. too. It's kind of busted here. They're not discounted. <laughs> yeah, still grateful, like, but they're still they're still obscured, but. They do, like, they added, like, stuff to make it a little bit more special. So you have, like, a person, there's, like, snacks and, like, treats. And, like, we had a bottle of champagne. Treats, yes. And you could, like, it was literally, uh, the program said, like, modeled after the Garnier boxes. So it's little seats. And then you can kind of get up and walk around. Or you can, like, leave and it's not going to disturb, like, anyone else. It was really smartly done. So we sat in a box and it was wonderful. And, like, across the way were just all these boyfriends who, like, brought their girlfriends and was, like, I'm, like, good for you, dude. And then it was me and my mom. But we had a, a really good time. So I, I, I'm i sad that I'm not going to see Phantom for a really long time. But it was, like, definitely a comfort to see it in the West End and be, like, okay, it still exists. And to um, see it in its original home. Exactly. It was cool. They changed a couple things based on, like, the renovation. So the angel doesn't come down mm-hmm. from the ceiling. But, dude, the, the, there is a giant Pegasus statue that they've created that rolls out and reveals that the Phantom's been there and the whole time. And it is horse time. girl representation, and representation Fabulous. does matter, so. It was great. <sighs> All right. Um, I have to wrap yeah. up, but what what Phantom Corner has Kristen been indulging uh, in? Rewatching Mad Men, trying to, you know work out, save up so I can, I can do, I don't really know what working out has to do with me going to see Phantom someday, but who can say, uh, but also just reading, (laughs) you know, what the hell I will link to it. There's some, there's this book called portrait of a Scotsman that I have unfortunately been spamming Kara with screenshots of this is a Rick adjacent man that is in this book. He's like, anytime there's like a surly man with scars, but like he has his own special kind of hotness. I mean, it's a little more adjacent to Andrew Lloyd Webber Phantom, but it's a very, it's, it's great. It has enough of a plot to where I'm not like mad at the tropes that are in romance novels. What I read for fun um, has Apocalypse, just like an asteroid incoming book. Love that. Really you know, as an anxious person, I love to read about something absolutely catastrophic and devastating. But every once in a while, I veer off into like a historical sort of romance novel. This is great. Great time. Yeah. So we'll link to that. We'll link to some Alicia Vikander, Christine inspo. Oh, we do have an Instagram. We do have a TikTok. You can follow us at those things. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do we'll do some updates. Oh my god, we will link yeah. to those. But then Kara, you're headed off on another trip. Do you anticipate any, like, Rick-adjacent Rick moments at that time? <laughs> no, I'm going to Cancun for a co-worker's wedding. I truly never want to, like, leave the country again. I have, I've played myself by overbooking myself too early in the summer. Not to sound ungrateful, but I'm definitely looking forward to just sitting in dead silence for the rest of the summer. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that Cancun and Rick mix. Who knows? Maybe I'll write a vacation at you. Maybe you will. Maybe you will. But sounds like you had an amazing time on on your European vacation. I'm sure you'll have an amazing time in Cancun as well. Oh, and then uh, hopefully, hopefully on schedule, we will do our best team, you know, but we will uh, be back to take you through the final 
the final several chapters of this book, which are sure to be very chill. Oh, chill. Yeah. We actually think they'll be boring, so. Yeah, it'll be like a meeting. Yeah. That could have been an email. Exactly, exactly. Uh, we'll see you then. Or talk to you then, mm. rather. Bye. Bye. <laughs>